Good evening and welcome to Destinies. I'm Howard Margolin and tonight the voice of science fiction presents the world premiere of songs from the cast recording of The Ten Commandments, the musical, which made its off-Broadway debut in May at the Center for Jewish History. In addition, we'll be speaking with the show's producer and star, David Serrero, in this special edition of the Destinies Musical Theater. David is joining us via telephone, so thank you for meeting your destinies with us, David. Hello, my dear Howard. How are you today? Very nice, thank you. And thank you so much for entrusting us with that honor. Absolutely. The pleasure is mine, and thank you so much for the opportunity. David, the Ten Commandments originated in France back in 2000. You weren't part of the original creative team of the show, so please tell us how you got involved with the musical and adapted it for English to eventually bring it to New York. Absolutely. Well, I first saw the show back in the year 2000 and really fell in love with it. And as a matter of fact, I got to know the whole cast and the whole team because I was working as a cleaning guy in the big arena where they were playing. So I got to know them. I think it was 20-year-old. I haven't moved yet to the United States, but I knew that it would be something for me. And there was something with that musical that really made me dream bigger and higher. And especially the lead singer of that musical, Daniel Levy, who is now a dear friend of mine with whom I had the pleasure recently before I started the rehearsal process to perform for him so he could give me advices to sing the part really the way he did. So it was a big dream for me always. I carried the music in my heart and as I was more and more involved in New York and putting shows together, I said, I want to bring it up. I want to bring it. But the problem was that musical was too big for any theater in New York. Like I needed something like Madison Square Garden, because this was the kind of venue where that musical was played. So it was very challenging to not only work on the show, almost to rewrite the show in a way, and to Americanize it, because originally on that show it was only songs after songs. There were no dialogues. You know, there was dancing, a lot of dancing, but it was songs after songs. So I decided to add a libretto to add dialogues and I commissioned actually the original stage director and creator of the show, my dear friend Elishuaki, and I told him, look, I need you to write it like this and after to stage it in a way that he could play in a theater and yet be believable because the story you can imagine, you know, the sea that opens, you know, on the movie, it's very hard to make it credible. So on the stage, <laughs> I cannot even tell you how difficult it is. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. And of course, there were challenges and people told me I was crazy to take that show. But I went for it and I convinced the original authors, Pascal Obispo, Patrice Girao, and Lionel Florence to let me do it and of course the lyrics and the music arrangements back of the year 2001 are not the same as we see now musical theater so when i adapted it in english it was not a translation i rewrote a lot of the lyrics to give it more of a dramatic sense in a way to explain more what american lyrics say versus French lyrics, because French lyrics and musical tend to be very philosophical, you know, 
sometimes life can take you there. You know, that's the kind of a French lyrics. American lyrics would be more, I want the world to know, you know, so I needed to do that kind of work also. But it turned out to be really wonderful. And being a singer myself, I was able to sing the songs and to try them out until they sound very good for American audiences. <laughs> Oddly, your run of the Ten Commandments at the Center for Jewish History corresponded with that of Barry Manilow's Harmony at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. I know that Manilow also spent more than two decades trying to bring his show to New York, so the fact that two original shows chronicling two very different time periods in Jewish history were running at the same time is an amazing coincidence. Did you get a chance to see Harmony while you were in New York? Oh, you know, sadly, no, because I was so busy working on my show. <laughs> I was working day and night on it, so I didn't have a chance to see it, and that's one of my big regrets. But what I was able to see was that we were all side by side in the press, you know, that the two great shows about Jewish history and harmony and the Ten Commandments. So that's beautiful. But, you know, it takes what it takes. And sometimes it's not the good timing. And I believe that it was the good timing for these shows to come after COVID, after all of that, a show that actually celebrates fraternity, celebrates adversity and overcoming challenges and being able to create the good around yourself. I think it was the perfect time. <laughs> I know you had worked with some of your cast members previously when you directed and starred in Anne Frank, a musical. I also noticed that some of your young cast were making their off-Broadway debuts. Tell us about the people you chose to bring this story to life on stage. Absolutely. It's a great question, Howard. Well, I've always been very good to cast the right people for the right part, you know, because... I'm not just a director, I'm originally, I mean, I'm an actor, I'm on stage. So I already have an idea of which character, how I want it to sound, how I want it to look, and how I want it to act. That's why as a director, I totally recognize that sometimes I'm not for everybody, you know, because you will cast an actor and they will say, no, no, I do it my way. So they have to be very lucky that their way will fit my way. You know? But most of the time, because I'm very, very exigent and because I know exactly how I want it and I don't want to go into a routine, you know, like, oh, I did the premiere after I don't care about the other shows. I want each actors to give 100% of themselves. Then I cannot just cast great actors or great singers, but I need to cast also great personalities, you know, and people I can trust because if someone doesn't show up to the performance, then it's an issue for me. And also on top of being, you know, sometimes the lead performer, but the director, I'm also the producer because I make the whole show happen in the first place. So I have also these strong responsibilities of having the whole production to happen. So when you cast people, you need to find also people who are reliable. And back in the days, to be honest with you, it was easier. So today, it's very important for me to find people with a personality who can endure also all the notes that I give because I'm a perfectionist and also to be able to receive such a dynamism from me and to be inspired so that every night you give 
100% of yourself. So sometimes, of course, you do mistakes and you have to replace people. Sometimes even before the rehearsal starts, sometimes during the rehearsals, sometimes after a couple of shows, sometimes you get through the round of the shows and you're like, okay, I cannot work with that person again. In the future, I'll be more careful. But most of the time, you know, 99.9% of the time, I've been extremely, I would say, grateful to have such great talent. But, you know, I work on every single aspect on the talent, whether it's from the way they walk on stage to the way they breathe on stage to the way they sing. Also, I can make them change the sound, the emotion through the voice. So I start with a strong vocal work and then after a good staging work and then hopefully I meet the whole thing together. And yes, yeah, so it goes through a long process also of casting and after you end up having the people and I have also, I cast understudies, you know, people who can jump in in case someone is sick or has to be replaced. But at the end of the day, you know, I get inspired from every single performer and over the years, I think I hired maybe over 2,600 singers, performers, actors, and it's been always really, really a great experience. Lisa Mond, who played your wife in Anne Frank, sings the role of Moses' adoptive mother, Bithia. Please set up the first number we'll feature tonight, My Son Will Be Named Moses. Absolutely. So what happens is that there is that great duet called I Choose to Abandon, which was the second single I released. And it's when Yokebe leaves her own child, Moses, to the Nile River. And then you have Bithia, who is Egyptian, who finds this child. And she's dreaming of having a new child. So she goes, my son will be named Moses. You know, I find you in the water and I should call you Moses. So that's the first, I would say, solo song of the musical is called my son would be named Moses, and she wants to say it to all the world that she has a new son. So just before you have a mom who is losing her son, uh, her despair, and after the joy of a mom who is adopting a new son. David, it's funny, although I've known this story my whole life, after hearing this song, I realized for the first time that the great savior of the Jewish people actually has an Egyptian name, not a Hebrew one. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Howard. It's true. And there are many, many things, even about the Jewish faith and about the Ten Commandments that myself being Jewish, I really, really didn't know. And I kind of rediscovered like the Passover, why we call it Passover. So all kinds of things which I rediscovered and even several cast members, some of them were Jewish and they were like, oh, because of that, I really didn't know. So it's very, very interesting. <laughs> Considering the number of ways this story has been presented over thousands of years, how much of the book was adapted from Exodus, how much from the 1956 film The Ten Commandments, and how much was original to this production? Oh, it's a great question. Well, actually, you really hit right in the face of it, because there are these three influences, the original production, the original book, and the 1956 film. So... I took actually a mix of the three. So on the original production, they didn't influence themselves at all from the 1956 production of the movie. 
I use a lot from the movie, but a lot from a costume point of view, because all Americans they have in the mind this great figure of Mr. Heston, you know, opening his arms with his big talis, his big clothing, and every Jewish child has watched the movie on American television at least once, and that's what I was able to see a lot from the comments on social media. When I announced the musical, so I knew that this movie is particularly very strongly implanted into Americans' culture. So I knew that it was important for me to base myself in terms of visuals a lot from it, because the original costumes in the original production of 2000 in France they were all white for the Hebrews, etc. So I wanted to give a little bit more colorful. Note, but otherwise the dialogues were really taken from really the book of Exodus, really, really from the original. After, of course, you have lines that historically were not really said by that character, you know. But because you couldn't have 50 different actors on stage, sometimes I had one actor. I wrote him a special line just for him. During the rehearsals, I was like, "No, wait, that's weird that you're saying that line doesn't make sense. So let's have that line said by that one." And I wrote another line for that character. So I would say it's really a mix of these three influences. Despite the fact that, by necessity, the characters aren't depicted as their actual ages, Moses was 40 years old when he discovered his Hebrew heritage. The next song we'll feature tonight is a duet between Moses and Joshua. Tell us about "I've Never Prayed Before." Oh yeah, thank you so much. Well, yeah, so that's the first time I'm saying actually in the musical. So Moses has finally discovered his true identity. He's not an Egyptian. He has met his mom, Yochebed, and he understood that his mom actually lied to him. You know, and then what happened? He is a new state of mind. He's completely lost, and he's like. He feels that something has changed in him. That he's being more spiritual about his Judaism, and Joshua kind of comforts him and tells him, "You've never prayed before. Now you're going to start a new destiny." And he's like, "Okay, I don't want you guys to suffer." He takes the hands of his mom, which were not in the original production. I added all of that. And they sing this beautiful duet, and then all the Hebrews come to him, which already shows the unity of this particular community. David, a few weeks ago, I saw a panel at EternalCon called "Is Superman Circumcised," which was about the Jewish history of Superman. That got me thinking that if Moses was three months old when he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, how were they able to keep his Jewish nature from the Egyptian court, since? He would have already been circumcised by that age, and I doubt that Bithia, as a princess, would have been changing his diapers. <laughs> well, that's a very good point. Well, you know, it's kind of these things that just get lost in the story. You know, we have a lot of stuff that don't really make sense, and sometimes it's actually the audience who come with fresh eyes and fresh ears. And they tell you something, and then you're like, "Oh, I didn't think about that." I can tell you two quick stuff. At the beginning, you have Seti, the father of the pharaoh, who is advised by they call them the Egyptian priests, 
that they saw a prophecy that there would be this Jewish male who will lead the revolution among the Hebrews and then destroy the Egyptian army and all of that and the Egyptian empire. So Seti orders to kill all the male firstborn who are Jews, you know. But actually what happens is that Aaron, he is the older brother of Moses. So technically, Aaron should be killed first and not Moses to be put in the sea. So you have that stuff, you can be like, oh, wait, wait a second here. But they say all the newborn or the one to come up. So this is one of the things that go, you know, with the story of theater. And the other thing that an audience member told me actually on the last performance that I realized actually on the very last performance, I realized it on the video that my legs were whiter than my face. Because, you know, when you are in New York in May, so there was a little bit more sun. So, of course, my face is more tan than my legs, you know. But if I would be living in Egypt, you know, the whole body would be tan almost the same because in those days there were no pens, you know. So then I was like, oh, wait, that doesn't make much sense. I should have put some sun tan on the legs also to match the color of the face. But this goes, you know, with the little story of theater that we can laugh about, you know. <laughs> Our next number, Oh Moses, features four of the cast. How does this quartet featuring Moses' Jewish family and his Egyptian mother fit into the story? Well, this is actually when Moses is sent to exile by his brother, Ramses. And his mom, Bithya, tried to, in a way, save Moses and, and not to send him to exile after he killed an Egyptian soldier who was beating a Hebrew. But he killed him really by accident. And in those days, Moses could have killed whoever he wanted. He was the son, quote-unquote, of Pharaoh. But what happened is another story that Ramses also had another dream and similar what happened. So when he arrives, he doesn't want to kill him, so he sends him to exile. So then Moses leaves, and he makes a lot of people sad, you know. He makes Bithia, his mom. He makes Moses' real mother, Yokebed, Aaron, but also Miriam, his sister, you know. So you have on one side of the stage, Moses' family, his mom, his brother, his sister, and the other side of the stage, you had Bithia, the Egyptian, who also loved Moses. And that's one of the most beautiful parts, I would say, of this musical. And what I wanted to show also as a director is that I wanted to detach a little bit the characters from their function. You know, like she's playing Bithya, she's playing the mother of Moses. But really how it feels for a woman, for a mom, to save your child by getting rid of him, you know, by putting him in the Nile. Or having your child that even though he is not really your child, but he goes away. You know, how you react as a woman. So this was the thing for me to humanize, if I may say, at the most. Uh, these, uh, these do it, and this is such a beautiful piece. With our guest, producer and star David Serrero, here on WUSB Stony Brook. The End of Radio with Chris Phillips will be coming up in a little while, so please stay tuned. David, why do some of your cast pronounce the name as Moises and others as Moses? 
I'm so happy that you cut that. <laughs> I'm so happy because you know I wanted to separate really the Hebrews and the Egyptian, and I thought if the mother was calling him with a real true Jewish accent or the way his name is said in the Jewish tradition versus the way they would say in the non-Jewish tradition, I thought that would create a good contrast of colors, you know. So when the Jewish mother says Moses, you know, there was something like more personal, you know, more intimate. Moses, like my son, you know, versus that Moses, you know. So I'm so glad you got that. A few people got it. <laughs> Considering how ancient and well-known this story is, did you notice any difference in familiarity with the source material between your Jewish and non-Jewish cast members? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, no. I didn't want it to be a Jewish show or a Jewish musical. I really wanted it to treat it as a story, you know, and the music carries all the souls for itself, even though, of course, it belongs closer to the Jewish history, to the Muslim history, by example. But it's very interesting for me as an actor, and it's very important that as an actor, you must be able to play everything, you know. Like I played a terrorist, I play a murderer. I can assure you, Howard, I've never killed anyone. <laughs> you know? But you have to be able to play everything regardless of your faith. You know, I played a priest, I played everything and I will continue to do so and that's the beauty of our profession and when you play it the good thing when you're an actor is that you're lucky to be yourself you can play yourself every day but the good thing is when you're playing with the director because all of a sudden it's you plus one is you plus a new set of eyes so for all the cast members to work with the director with myself but who has this vision of Judaism, because I'm Jewish, but also as, a, you know, a classical theater, as an opera singer, as a large culture in the musical world. I think that's what made it, I would say, so complete in terms of all these diversity that I wanted to bring on stage, because at the end of the day, this was a powerful message of the Ten Commandments, which was to bring love, fraternity, and to bring people together and to have people love each other. So that we can close on a positive note, the last number we'll present tonight is Reason to Hope. Let us know why this song's message is so important to not just the Jewish people, but the world. Absolutely. So originally, I was not thinking of adding that song. And then I decided to add it. There is a bridge in the song, which I decided to cut, but it's really originally my reason to hope, but I changed it to reason to love. And that's what she alternates to you're my reason to hope, my reason to love. And this is when actually Moses had just lost his brother. So his brother was taken by the sea and he died and Moses is all alone. And he feels guilty in a way because he's like, oh, wait a second, if I wouldn't have left, my brother would still have been there, you know. But in a way, his brother wanted to have him killed as well. So that shows also the great power of how someone can come to you and just take you from laying down on the floor to go back to your legs and to get back on your feet. 
and then go back to your purpose. And this is when he's like, okay, I see the mountain, I see the fire there. Okay, this is where God is waiting for me. So that's really a beautiful moment. And after, of course, you have when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God and this great finale called The Will to Love, which was, still actually even today, the number one song ever played in radio, most favorite song of all time in France. David, are there currently plans to bring the show back to New York or to tour in America? Absolutely. Well, actually, today I was working with the venue to see about the dates and the schedule, but it looks like it's going to be Arizona first in January, February 2023. Then I have London, and then I would love to play this show again in New York around Passover every year, which is, you know, around April, May, depends on the year. But I think that would be a great time to play this show. So yes, it will be played again. It will be played internationally. And also there is the video of the show. There is the cast album recording and all kinds of different material to spread this beautiful message of hope, of love, of unity, of fraternity, and this powerful message to love one another. When will the cast recording be available In what formats will it be available, and how will people be able to get a copy? Well, you know you will get a copy before everybody else. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to finish to record several other tracks, but I will say in about a month it should be all available, and it will be digital but also physical and CD. And everybody can either download it on iTunes or stream it on Spotify or Apple Music or simply to purchase the CD, which will be available also on Amazon, Walmart, and other important stores. Finally, where can our listeners go online to find out more about the Ten Commandments, the musical, and you personally? Oh, very sweet. Well, the best way is always to my social media or through my website so it's davidcerebro.com or you can follow me on instagram which is david cerebro production where you can see all the future shows but i would tell the website the 10 commandments the musical.com is also the place where you can find all the next opportunities but first it will be announced for sure on the social media David, thank you for sharing your time in music with us. I wish you luck with all of your projects, and I hope we can speak again the next time you do something that falls within our genres on Destinies. It would be my honor, my dear Howard, and from the bottom of my heart, I really want to thank you for this incredible opportunity and for you not only to support this musical, but also to go all the way to Manhattan to watch the performances and being so supportive about everything, you know, with so kind and having his good faith on everyone. You're really a blessing and it's an honor to know you. Thank you. And an honor to know you as well. Good night. Thank you. Our guest tonight has been David Serrero, producer and star of The Ten Commandments, The Musical. Learn more about the production at www.thetencommandmentsthemusical.com. That's thetencommandmentsthemusical.com. And about David at davidserrero.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-S-E-R-E-R-O.com. 
Next week, the Voice of Science Fiction will be live as the Destiny's Film Review League gathers to discuss DC's League of Super Pets, which opened in theaters yesterday. You can write to Destiny's, care of WUSB Radio, Second Floor Westside Dining, Stony Brook University, Stony Brook, New York, 11794. The Destiny's musical theater premiere of Songs from the Ten Commandments has been produced by a member of the Science Fiction Forum in association with WUSB Stony Brook. The forum is located in rooms LO608 and LO609 in the Stony Brook Student Union and holds meetings on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. This is Howard Margolin saying thanks once again to David Serrero for joining us, reminding you to stay tuned to WUSB for the end of radio, who graciously let us have this extra time, and wishing you the best of all possible destinies. (laughs) 